Hi, I'm Dee Sterling. I'm a lover of language and languages. I'm a storyteller. I'm also a businesswoman and the co-founder of Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with Dee. Over coffee, a very strong one in my case, I will get curious with my guests about their journeys in life and business and how they practice living courageous, creative and interesting lives. Welcome everybody to Double Espresso with Dee, with me Dee Sterling. I hope you've all got your coffee close to hand. I am so excited to announce my guest today, the beautiful and spectacular Shadow Baka. Welcome Shadow. how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. On this beautiful sunny day in London. Wonderful morning. Um, one of those rare moments. Uh, we've been having a couple of winning days and that's always good. Right, absolutely. Well, listen, I'm super excited to see you and to have you on the show. And um, I know all about you, but I can't wait for you to share your very special and unique story with all our viewers and listeners who are out and about um, and hopefully listening to us or will be very soon. So, Namshadow, just a very, very quick background. You are South African by birth spent part of your early childhood with your grandparents in Zimbabwe and then moved here to be with your mother when you were a young child and we'll be coming back to that. You are one of my new entrepreneurs so that makes me very happy. We met a few years ago. You some years ago experienced the ethnicity wellness gap and you've been on a mission to do something about that ever since and you have gone about creating botanical wellness powered goods uh, or products rather. So a complexion company was born. I mean, what a name. I love the name already. And really, I think, and and we're going to hear more about you, but you were informing what you've been doing with traditional African remedies and medicines and putting that into your products to create something for the modern day woman and individual, including me. (laughs) So in short order, even though it's still early days, you have um, gained cult status with your vitamin powder, which is divine. And that was introduced to you from what I understand by your grandfather, who was a herbalist, and he Mm -hmm. was passing down a recipe, which is a bit like the elders passing things down to the community at large, which is wonderful. And this is flying off the shelves. It's sold here in Liberty, London. No mean feat, please. (laughs) And uh, is standard dose in the US and has had much coverage in the international press, everything from Vanity Fair and Vogue to Forbes. You know me, I love fashion, I love luxury, I can't help myself. And you have been referred to, you, the business, as the mess of African heritage, which knowing you really sits well. And of course, it's just the start. So, Amshada, we're going to come back to the business, but can we just go back to Africa mm-hmm. and tell us about your early days, your early life, your memories of that time? Because ultimately that has informed who you've become and what you're doing today. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you for such an introduction. <laughs> so I grew up, it was quite interesting times with me growing up, and it wasn't actually until retrospectively I started to understand how my upbringing was, you know, sheltered me from some of the things which were happening. 
So I was born in Johannesburg and it was in the last probably final six years of the apartheid. And I was taken to my grandmother's to stay in Zimbabwe. I would often spend uh, the school holidays and um, sort of Christmas time, any extended period of time, uh, visiting my father who was based in Johannesburg. And we would, you know, he would show me uh, some of his favorite places, would take me to hotels, would eat at Wimpy's. Um, it was just a very romantic relationship that I have with my father. But I spent the majority of my time under the guidance and tutelage of my grandmother. Right. Uh, she was the most senior teacher at our school. I went to the same school as her. So just a bit historically, my grandmother is the first school-educated individual in my lineage, um, especially on my maternal side. And uh, she taught firstly like in rural schools, and then she taught at the school called Los K, and you know, worked her way up the ranks and became the most senior teacher. So after the head teacher, deputy head teacher, um, it was her, and she was called the teacher in charge. So I would I got very special treatment as the teacher. I was called the TIC's daughter um, just because of how attached I was to my grandmother and how, yeah, I was really her baby. And I, even uh, my aunties and uncles, they'll all agree that I was her last born. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many were there in the family? How many children? Yeah, so my grandmother had four children. Uh, my right. mother was the eldest, uh, so she had a daughter, two boys, and a daughter at the end. Um, and then so you. Being, <laughs> <laughs> um, being, um, uh, you know, being carried with her, sleeping in her office when she had to continue working was just some very fond, loving memories that I had of her and just the special time that we spent together. She's late now as of two years ago. Um, but I'm sorry. We were just the best of friends. Um, my fondest memories were uh, her lying down. We've got a, sort of these grass mats, the cordy grass. And we're all, like in South Africa, in um, Zimbabwe, we have these verandas. So you will always have a veranda at the front of your house. Um, but my grandmother would put it fancy out and uh, lie on there. And I'll just be chit-chatting with her, just sort of spinning her hair until she falls oh, nice. And it was just a very fond um, memory that I have of her. Um, Beautiful. Of her. What 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 language did you speak? Uh, so I speak Lebanese and Zulu. And of course, I didn't learn English until my mother. Uh, so my mother, when I was born, uh, a few months ago, my mother graduated and she got a scholarship to UCL. Um, so she left me with my grandmother um, in order to pursue that, knowing that it would improve the lives of everybody. Uh, nobody had had an international education apart from her younger brother who also got right. a scholarship to Australia, the University of Melbourne. Um, so it was the first time my family was going international in any sort of way. And so I start, I was taken to, my mother made the decision to take me to an English speaking uh, nursery school it's called Children's House um, right. in, in Bulawayo, like in the city. And that is where I learned English um, in order to prepare me to come to the UK. And how old were you when you came to the UK? It was late primary, so nine. I remember just being so excited. I used to receive a lot of postcards and dresses and pictures from my mom. And I, and I, in my eyes, as every daughter, your mother is this, this, this the most glamorous thing that you've ever encountered. And I just had this. I knew I had this glamorous mummy in the UK, and I was going to be joining her and living this 
fabulous life. <laughs> what? How long had it been since you'd seen your mother when you moved here? I think she was visited as often as she could, um, but of course, studies and work permitting. We did live together when I was five, between five ages of five and six. It was immediately after. It was about. Six, nine months after the official of the abolition of the apartheid uh, right. that lived as a family, my mother and my father and I, we lived in, in Johannesburg, we lived in Harting. Right. And it was interesting of times. My parents couldn't afford my education, so I took a year of school and was pretty much just playing in the house, watching Michael Jackson dangerous videos and days of our lives. <laughs> Probably good for your English. <laughs> Um, and uh, and sort of going and playing tennis with my father it was quite a challenging time uh, during those days because we weren't it was two young postgraduates or young parents trying to figure it out right and in the midst of such economic disadvantage as well my father being a black African my mother also being a black African uh, and the inequality in access to education and jobs happening just in the immediate aftermath of the apartheid. So did your mother move back to the UK shortly thereafter? Yeah, uh, she saw the opportunity there. Let me take my daughter to the UK. Um, so she left and went back. And I followed when I was nine years old. So I followed a few years later. So how was that? Because I reflect quite a lot on, you know, how we adapt and you know recently in the news here we've been hearing about immigrants coming here and it you know being a, a big problem for the country and also for them because they've had to leave their homeland some of them have had terrible journeys in boats you know there've been deaths you know just awful situations and and we know as well because we've done a lot of work with refugees that if you come somewhere new your adaptive potential is tested so in essence, your ability to adapt makes you more or less successful, more or less happy, more or less able to acclimatize. And I think that, um, you know, as children, perhaps we adapt more readily, you know. I mean, in, in my case, it was, you know, nothing at all dramatic, but I moved to Milan when I was 18. I, you know, I spoke about three words of Italian, but I just got on with it. I'll figure it out. I'll learn. And, and I did because I had to. And I learned really quickly because there was no choice. It was the only way me, the communicator, was going to be able to communicate with the world around me. And I think for you, what, do, what are your memories of that time coming here? Because it would have been so different. I mean, yes, you were with your mother, which must have been wonderful. But what do you remember from that time onwards? so much change uh i came the year it was 20 it, we had our last christmas together and we left on boxing day and essentially the new year was going to be in in london and of course i had postcards and this presumption of what <laughs> london in england was going to be like and my mother at the time she just due to her work was able was, had some accommodation close to her workplace because she worked for the NHS. She's a speech and language therapist. And we lived quite closely, I'd probably say, for six months. And then the realities of everything set in. I'm not sure what exactly um, happened, whether it was a transition of jobs or a change of policies, but NHS workers weren't getting the type of support that they once used to. And so I felt it was my mother and I, who now a single parent, 
living in a council flat in Kent. And that was a complete shock. Although I hadn't had really many things to compare myself to, being living in Zimbabwe, I had I knew I was somewhat middle class and I didn't know the class systems. I knew that we had a house to live. Of course, money is tight because um, my grandmother also being a single mother, being made late as a widow as well, raising four children. She had had her sort of tumultuous time doing that, but now the children were grown up and they were earning money so they could look after themselves. Um, but then coming to the UK and suddenly realize you're at the very bottom of an economic system. And not only are you at the very bottom, but there aren't even people that look like you right. up the ranks who can help you, who can talk to you, because we are a community. We've focused so much on community in Zimbabwe. You always had a friend somewhere. Like, for example, I remember when my mother was graduating at a film studio and I wandered off. I was, I was about a year. I was, I was just walking age, so I was exercising. <laughs> um, I wandered off and, and the TV presenter found me and gave me a donut and a Coca-Cola and sat me on her lap and reported to TV, reported the news and said, this little girl is in the studio. Somebody wants to come get her. So that <laughs> love was always there. And then to suddenly be cut cold from that environment and also to be cut cold from people which I knew. And so it was quiet and lonely and some of the most horrible times, I'd probably say, in terms of the challenges that faced me. I didn't understand until sort of the school incidents how my difference offended people. How did that come out when you were at school? Was it how people treated you? Was it language? What was it? It was how I was treated and language. I remember right. I was the only African in the school. Right. There were maybe two other mixed children, but they have their own. Later on, I understood they had their own uh, challenges as well. But it was me trying to, because when you see somebody that kind of looks like you, you run towards them and you expect this love. But it, it was this, don't want to be associated with her because obviously she'll bring me down the social ladder. We already right. have enough as it is. So that rejection was really quite shocking. And then also from school children who would be quite polarised. Some would be just intrigued and fascinated and wanting to come and play with me. And then perhaps one of them, you know, the ringleader, you know how children... <laughs> I know, horrible, <laughs> unfortunately. I don't need to times. I'm not cool anymore. And I was just sort of left to try and fit in as much as I can. I do remember now looking back that just the exhaustion of trying to just fit in and just knowing that no matter what I did, I couldn't. Here's the thing, though, um, you know, and on some of um, the podcasts that we've done in this series with, uh, with a, a whole range of entrepreneurs, you know, beautiful individuals like you who are in the early years of that long voyage and others who have been down the road for many, many years and who are still at it. But we've talked about being oneself and being different. And I think, you know, we are brought up to conform. We are brought up to fit in. All our systems, the architecture of our lives obligates us to conform. We want to conform. We want to look like other people. And, you know, the fact is we all need to embrace being different because we are different. I mean, from a genetic perspective, we are all absolutely unique. I think, why would we fit in when we can stand out, you know? But it starts when you're very young and, you know, the sort of 
pains that you went through because you're desperate to fit in, one's desperate to be liked, and, and it's so hard. If you look back, you know, because that was some years ago, despite the fact that you're so young, you know, how do you feel about it today? And, you know, maybe also in the context of the world we're in, you know, as we've discussed, we've had Me Too, we've had, we have the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, even in um, our, you know, modeling campaigns and all sorts, there's much greater reflection of the world we live in, of the people in this world, of our differences in terms of size and color and ethnicity and on and on and on. And we're seeing more of that depicted. But what has been your personal experience, like kind of looking back at that time that we're talking about and, and where you are today? Um, looking back at that time, I remember, I think it was in, a, in an English class, I, we were studying Pygmalion and uh, reading her story and understanding that I could learn how to fit in. That was a new thought for me. <laughs> right. Um, I had just been rejected. I was trying to do that, but I, I learned how to assimilate from that movie. I remember doing almost everything that she did. I went. I used to be a big reader. So I went to the library. I got the breaths. I started to learn what does it mean to be middle class or upper middle class? How do you walk? How do you talk? I put myself through a finishing school in order to change the way I spoke, change my, my body language. I don't know what inspired me to do that, but I understood that in order to survive and in order to be able to maneuver these systems, I have to be the most, well, now looking back, the most palatable version. I have to assimilate and make everybody else comfortable around me because my difference makes people uncomfortable. And so that worked for me. I got into a business school. I also knew that I wanted to be in business and do something different. So I got into a business school, studied entrepreneurship and management, which at the time, Nobody even knew how to say entrepreneurship. It was the most few <laughs> courses, <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago, right? Not everybody uses yeah. this word, right? <laughs> exactly. It was two. Um, I it was there were two courses in all of the United Kingdom, and I chose the one um, sort of nearest. Um, and that's how essentially I started my career. I do believe that there was an advantage in myself in being able to speak a certain way. For example, I started using Michelle instead of Nomshada, which is my middle name. Mm. So all of these shifts and changes, I did a lot in the early years of my teenagehood up to my late 20s, right. which is a considerable amount of time. And even with the effort that I had put in, I was exhausted. <laughs> right. I was very much um, understanding that this can only take me so far, but at least it, it gives me an advantage. It gives me a, a level up uh, in comparison to other black women, and especially as an immigrant black woman who who had difficulty even relating to black people who live here because they've got a completely different culture to us. Um, of course, of course. Yeah, so it's, it was quite tough. And then in relation to how things are happening right now with Black Lives Matter and trying to see what is happening the history always repeats itself so true what i am experiencing is what i absorbed and i understood uh in a post-apartheid south africa when the conversation is still loud and everybody is now speaking and saying that people need to be anti-racist as opposed to just be passive and that silence is violence 
you are going to get a lot of pushback. So now people on the opposing, te- opposing team are also equally as vocal. And there is, um, I used to say to an ex-boyfriend of mine that when I wake up, just to try and explain what a black woman's experience is, imagine everybody wakes up and they've got 100% in their tank and you have 100% for that day. When, as a black woman, imagine I wake up and I'm, I'm already 15% down, but I'm expected to perform 100%. In fact, because I'm black and I'm female, I'm actually expected to perform 150%. Right. That is how it feels every day. I would probably say that today it feels like waking up with 20 and 30% down. Right. Because of how much people now go out of their way to vocalize that they don't want you here, they don't like you here, and that you are threatening whatever it is that they have. So it is a heightened state at the moment um, as it seems that people feel like it's you against me when it's actually us trying to build a better society for both of us to thrive collectively and also for there to be some equity amongst the races because we cannot be expected to perform 150% whilst we are being depleted emotionally, physically, morally, 40%. Totally. And also to your point, you know, during this long stretch of your life, basically, when you were working very hard at fitting in to um, an architecture that you felt you had to fit into because you lived here with your mother and, and you know, you weren't going to go and live somewhere else. You weren't going to go back to Africa, etc. Do you feel today that, and I, I totally agree with your point, things can take on a kind of sense of urgency and the, and the volume can rise when that isn't necessarily helpful either. You know, we all have to, coexist. We have to be in communities together. I mean, I'm super excited. I grew up in Ireland, as you know, but I'm, I love living in, in a city like London, which is so diverse. And that for me is a gift to me personally, but to my family, to my children, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I love the fact that you have all these different nationalities, communities, languages that you can hear on the streets of London in many, many different neighborhoods. Do you feel um, today that the problem is getting worse. And do you feel that within the black community, to your point, if you just take Africa, I mean, it's vast, right? Yeah. Um, if you take one country in Africa, if one thinks about the number of ethnic uh, differences, tribes, diverse communities, there's huge diversity within even the smallest African country. What do you feel about that? Do you feel that there is a united front, you know, across people of color and so forth? Do you experience diversity in a negative respect with other communities there? What do you think is happening also? The last question for now, um, you know, post this year of COVID and, you know, we've had protests in the streets on all these matters, even during this year. Where are we today in terms of um, your optimism or otherwise around the subject? Um, it's a bit mixed. Um, I would say the realist in me believes that the West is not over yet because there needs to be this education of what it means to have parity amongst the races, especially for those who have who feel that it threatens whatever it is that they have. Until that is accepted, because it's usually the the journey of everyone, sort of this redemption journey of understanding that oh, actually, there was a wrong that was done. It doesn't mean that I'm going to lose everything that I have. It just means that 
things are going to be different and in a positive way ultimately but there is this change and this shift that needs to occur which will make me uncomfortable inevitably and I have to be comfortable in that uncomfortability and that's the psychological issue that people are yet to overcome it is human nature to want to protect your own it is human nature yes. to gravitate towards being comfortable and to stay within something that's familiar to you unfamiliarity is deemed even your body reacts to it as a threat so um it is just first that understanding that your emotions are deceiving you in a sense like this is not a threat uh we are not here to threaten you it is a matter of creating a new society um as you mentioned diversity within the western world it has not been a choice it has usually been forced upon either the natives or the immigrants we have collided as opposed to come together and now we're doing the work of coming together in my country when like in my culture when two families are about to as i say two families are about to get married especially two individuals getting married but we never view it as two individuals getting married it's two families getting married and part of the process of the road to being married is the two families getting together understanding each other talking totally arbitrators on on both sides there's a representative here representative there and they try to understand that we're not taking your daughter and she's not going to spoil your son and ruin him um it <laughs> because both parties have their anxieties but there is this process that we have in order to bring about a peace and an understanding in order to support the couples as they go on to their journey to be married that's exactly how i see the races needing to come together there needs to be first this understanding that we're not going to be taking advantage of each other we are moving away from that and therefore let's have a conversation and let's let's continue going back and forth until something feels comfortable and and these marriage courts they go back and forth as long as necessary the couple will not get married until there is peace within the families because that peace is so important as a foundation for the future or right. other you will marry your enemy and exactly how i feel people on both sides feel you will be partnering with your enemy and then that creates another disaster in the future so it's like an arranged marriage right which was absolutely the norm until <laughs> and still is in many cultures i mean there's something to be said right for yeah. all the reasons you've outlined mm-hmm. because we have to understand each other that is important um uh, and creating diverse spaces where there are more uh people who represent both sides is important so i'm confident as i see some of the um leaders within the private world take those steps where i would love to see more progression is with institutions with law with the systems themselves need to permit a diverse a uh, range of people to be uh working together living together communicating together whilst totally. the visible things that separate us the invisible things that separate us will continue to dominate 100% so now I'm sort of coming back to you and of course all of this is work in progress isn't it you know it's little by little by little it's educating at the the very beginning it's encouraging better um 
treatment of one another. And, and I agree, it's got to be an education. It's got to be in how we run our countries, how we run our cities, how we run our businesses. It's really filtering down from that level as well. But in relation to you, tell us why you set up the business. And do you feel today that you have grown into you, given the life you've led, given the challenges that you know you and your, your mom have faced here integrating? Where are you today in your head on that one? Oh, definitely. I went on a trip, I think it was 2016, where I was slowly embracing, well, I say minimalism, and just what that meant in terms of your desires and what you want for, for, for life. And I found a lot, of, a lot of similarities with Scandinavian culture, with my culture, and I was very much missing home. I had visited home about two times, and I was now going to go on a trip to Australia uh, to see my family there in Perth and spend just about three weeks there. And the trip I spent just with my, it was probably, it was the last time I saw my grandmother. Right. And just being with her as a young adult who's who has experienced life and, he, and is just needing so much some wisdom to keep going <laughs> yeah. and some encouragement and, and just some of that knowledge that my grandmother has and starting to understand that the things which are which I feel are important maybe aren't important it's time to reevaluate who you will be in the coming years it felt like it was time for that review as to interesting you have been on this path it's taking you this far but you seem there's a disconnect uh, between who you are and who you want to be. And I'll probably say that until that point, I joke with my friends to say that I was a closet African. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I had to come out of the closet and embrace the fact that my difference... This is who you are, right? Who I am. I actually cannot run away from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, nor, nor do you need to, of course. Nor do I need to. And so I... I came back and I made those changes. I remember just sort of writing it down. Who's the woman that I want to be? And I decided that I'm going to be a woman that stands up for herself. I'm going to be a woman that walks in integrity. I'm going to be a woman that embraces every part of who she is. And a woman that's going to show up fully wherever she is. If my difference makes somebody uncomfortable, it's okay. They'll adjust the same way that you did and they'll become comfortable within time. But for me to rob them of who I am is also robbing me and I'm no longer willing to do that to myself. I understood the part I was playing against myself and against who I was um, in order to just in order to fit in. I realized this was not sustainable in any way and it was time to integrate every part of myself and for the African to show up at work, not just the representation. And so that came with the knowledge of understanding of just embracing the things that, that that are to do with me. So learning a lot about my history. Um, Beautiful. Cultural history. And during that time, I was beginning NEF. And so I... <laughs> and so which is I, the new entrepreneurs, the NEF Plus program, for those that don't know, which is where we met at the Centre for Entrepreneurs. I'm the class of 2018, and I started, of course, the year before... And my business was evolving as I was also evolving as a woman. And quite interestingly enough, um, I started my company just wanting it to be a beauty company for the needs of black women. I hadn't seen that before. But in the winter of uh, 2017, Fenty launched. 
And now the conversation began. So I thought, okay, perfect. The, the time is prime right. for this type right. of conversation. Absolutely. And then with all the excitement working with Nev and working in a SaaS startup, I found myself flatlined. I was not well at all. And it didn't make any sense because I had taken the steps to make sure that I was eating the best diet I can and I became vegan. And I thought that that was the suitable thing to do. That's what everybody was talking about, become vegan, plant-based. Right. And I just was not well. I had to take two months off work um, and oh around three different blood work um, done in order to identify what was wrong with me. And at first they couldn't identify what was wrong with me. Um, I gave my results to my doctor. She couldn't figure it out. Um, you're perfectly fine. I was like, I'm not fine. <laughs> and, and that, yeah, after three months off. Yeah, after three months off. And that came back and forth and back and forth until I remembered that the previous summer when I'd come back from France, I had some skin discoloration on my face. And I wasn't given to my normal doctor. I was given to the most senior doctor, um, who was an Indian doctor. And he was able to identify it quite quickly and say, oh, my children have this. Don't worry about it. It's not serious. Um, it's because you've gone on holiday, you've tanned, the skin has tanned, and that skin hasn't tanned. That's all that's happened. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't realize that could be the case. So I remembered that as a memory, and I requested him, and I asked him to have a look at my blood work. He could very quickly read and identify that me, as a black woman, as an immigrant woman, the amount of nutrients that I have in my body um, is not enough. And I have severe micronutrient deficiencies. And that is why I'm pretty much, I can't seem to function. And through simple supplementation, I was able to get my health back. But that was the first recognition that, oh, the health advice that is being given to everybody is not the health advice that's suitable for me based upon my race, based upon where I'm coming from. What does that mean for everybody else? I'm like, so is it? true that me and my friends we're not just tired because we have to fight the forces that be but we're also tired because we don't have the nutritional support to even uh have our bodies working uh, optimally and that turned out to be the case i found myself however at the kitchen table taking around different supplements i was taking a liquid iron and i was taking a capsule for probiotics and i'm taking an omega i'm taking a tincture for this and, a I know, and rattling around and feeling worse half the time right Exactly. And I just thought, this does not feel like wellness. It shouldn't be this hard. In front of me was around 150 pounds worth of products. And how come everybody else can just take one multivitamin from this? Yeah, <laughs> and, and be fine. <laughs> and, and be fine. And so I understood that we need something designed for us from scratch in order to make it easy. But First, speaking to my grandfather, trying to just let him know how I'm getting on. And he told me that the diet you're taking is not the diet that you should have. Women, as they transition throughout different phases of their lives, they're supposed to eat differently. Traditionally, that's a, a knowledge that women that I should know. But of course, I didn't grow up around him. That each time you reach a different phase of life, you focus on eating certain different foods. And that in our right. culture, we eat and we drink our medicine. It do, we don't tend to rely on anything. It's all in the diet, right? It's all in the diet. And I started then researching and trying to understand. And I saw quite clearly that we have protective foods and medicinal foods, which we incorporate naturally as part of our 
of our diet and our traditional foods. Um, but when I moved here, I'm having pastas and I'm having pizza. I'm having all delicious things that I can have access to. But that's not actually the food that is going to help me that my ancestors have adapted to in order to be able to function the best that I can. And I'm in a new environment and I've changed my diet and it's now taking its toll on me. And so I went about trying to remedy that. He advised me and said, this is what we use. This is our nutritional uh, multivitamin. And start taking that, leave everything else that you're taking and see how you feel. And I found myself weaning myself off these um, different solutions that I was putting together and this pseudoscience that I was pursuing and just using uh, my nutritional powder. And I felt a lot better. I felt more energized. And it felt emotionally better, the fact that it wasn't, it didn't feel prescriptive. I remember the decline of my grandmother's health for having to take six different tablets in order to deal with her health. Do you know what occurs to me as well? And, you know, you and I have known one another for some years and um, and you are at the sunshine every time I see you. And it's been an iterative process. I think often when people, I know we talk a lot about mission and vision, and, and which of course are very important at a certain point when you're creating something, but often setting up a business or doing something or finding a solution to a problem, which, and you were finding a solution to your own problem, but of course it's not just unique to you, right? It's unique to millions of people, men and women, but it was an iterative process, right? And it strikes me that sometimes it's just important to get stuck in and take the steps and wander down the road without necessarily being on the high speed train with a very, very targeted mission or vision. And in your case, it feels to me as well that, you know, this is all you being at the center of something where you shine, you know, like it's like you're, you've, you've learned to bring the best of yourself to business. And as a consequence of that, you know, you're solving a problem, meeting a need, doing all the things that in business terms are really important to create a business of substance that can grow, et cetera. So I think that's just a really important lesson as well to highlight here, because it isn't always right. The mission is this, and we're going to do this, and this is our market. You know, it can be almost operating in chaos for a while and moving through the chaos, getting things done, right? And not obsessing about the project, but finding ways to be our best because I think when you're at your best, the rest will come with effort, you know? So listen, Shadow, tell me where you are today with the business and, and what the next year looks like for you. Um, yes, so it has been quite a, a transition <laughs> over the past yeah. months. Uh, we have joined Founders Factory and I have been working with a wonderful team there. And Fantastic. Incredible to be one of five black female founders uh, in the entire portfolio and to have the support of the senior management who I honestly have to say they, in the same nature as NEF, they understand the need of, and the slight variance in support for immigrant entrepreneurs in comparison to uh, the rest of their portfolio. And so they've been so gracious in order to help bridge some of those gaps for me. And then, um, so what we have been working on is uh, a lot of new products. Uh, which are going to be launching essentially our takeover in the next couple of months. We're currently fundraising our pre-seed in order to get these products into the market and also in order to grow our team and to really move into this space 
wholeheartedly. Um, the ethnic wellness gap is increasingly, it continues to grow where people are not necessarily educated in understanding that their biology is impacting how they process certain vitamins and certain minerals. And that is having an impact in how they're able to just cope every day. We are what we're also, I'm calling the stress pandemic, uh, where people are having a tougher time coping and giving your body the tools and to be able to just support you there um, is extremely important right now. And where the gap was before, it's increasing. And that is why uh, Black women are more likely to be victims of COVID-19. So we are doing the work to educate individuals and we're doing the science. Uh, we're working with Record Van Kaiser. The global medical team is confirming what I knew as a suspicion. And they are also using their 500 years of collective data uh, in order to have that science um, behind what we're working on, which is the ultimate multivitamin and mineral supplement for people. Fantastic. Um, so Incredible. Very um, game-changing uh, products that uh, we're working on because it's for the first time that native doctors, native and native doctors in traditional medicine, ethnobotanists and herbalists, as well as medical scientists are creating a wellness supplement for people of color, people who tend to have a prevalence in diabetes and insulin resistance and glucose intolerance and um, all of these factors which tend to plague our community. We're actually going to be able to support them with one product. That is just revolutionary, right? And you are, you are, you know, my warrior pioneer leading the charge. I'm super excited and super proud of you. So um, we are very much near the close um, of um, everything we're working on. We are considering bringing in our community uh, to come in with a crowdfund. So if you see us on your feeds this summer, that is why. Um, but Fantastic. I'm so in awe of the community of female founders just globally who are pushing to change the narrative because I do call them and I meet up with them and we have conversations and we share our mutual struggles and support each other. But it's always quite interesting how much um, of the same experience is repeated in the US, in Argentina, in Norway. And what I'm finding at least is that we are here for each other and we're creating these networks in order to support each other and to move ahead. Um, so I'm very excited for the next phase of the company, just the introduction of products which support these women in a meaningful way. And for that conversation really to truly start being uh, more globally recognized, knowing that in the medical world it is acknowledged that we need certain different support and we are played with certain troubles. And having now the scientific, um, sorry, having now the private world be able to provide these remedies so that they're off the counter, there isn't a heavy reliance on the NHS of which many Women, if they're immigrant women, may not have access to or may, there may be a language barrier. There's so many reasons why access to health may be impaired. Totally. Or also people don't realize often often they have to hit the wall a bit like when you, you know, had to take a few months off. They keep going because they just think I'm having a bad day or I'm a little bit tired, I'm a bit stressed, you know, and they don't understand there's something underlying. Well, it's... um really revolutionary. And I, I know you're going to go the whole way because you're in the process of doing that. Michelle, I could talk to you all day and I'm looking forward for us to get together very soon. But just to wrap today, 
you have learned so much wisdom from um, your grandmother, among others. What is the best piece of advice she or someone that matters to you has given you? There was a song which I learned from a very young age. Um, and I remember sort of singing it as a school child. And my grandmother would always say, good, better, best, never let it rest before the good is better and the better is best. And guided me in life when I don't feel sometimes that I'm good I know that I can get better and I know that I don't stop until I'm the best and so that has given me that internal drive to um to keep going even in the worst of times fantastic and last question for you today which I ask all my guests because I'm mad about coffee, as you know, yeah. um, on a reduced basis. And uh, this show is all about coffee as well. If you were able to have coffee with anyone, past or present, who would that be? Such a challenging question. As I journey back into my ancestral history, I probably say it's my great-grandmother. Um, I only saw her briefly, but never really had to had an understanding or had the conversations with her. But she was a very wise woman and something changed in our lineage from her. Um, right. I would say that she installed the importance of education for all the grandchildren that she had, her children as well. And needing me to be in front of you here in London, <laughs> she really made some pivotal changes. And it was fascinating how she did it, um, just being a one of five wives, because our culture naturally were polygamous, being one of five wives and having these young children and these young women, what did you tell them in order for them to be so aspirational? Because it really, it changed my life as the recipient of the history that she created. Um, and of course. And a cup of coffee with her and, and just listen to the woman that she was. Oh, listen, that is really beautiful and a beautiful note to finish. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's been really, really special. And thank you for sharing your story and being so open. And I hope lots and lots and lots of people are going to listen to this story and share it as well, because you've given so much. You give so much of yourself to everything you do and everyone you come into contact with. And I am with you all the way. That goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I'm very excited for the next steps on your incredible journey. Fantastic. Thank you so much. See you soon. Lots of love. Thanks for listening to this episode of Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. If you enjoyed it, I'd love you to review and subscribe to the podcast so we can share these amazing stories with others. I'd also love to connect with you. So feel free to contact me by Instagram DM at D Double Espresso. Until the next time. Au revoir.